And in my view, and, and very much the way I work with my clients is first of all, to get them to a place where they are coping better with the symptoms they've got. You know, I, I truly think you've got to get to that place where you're coping before you can start to turn your your sights on recovery. And actually, I do. I also think if you're coping, you will start to hopefully move towards recovery because because you're not, you know, you're letting your body, you, you're 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 getting into a calmer, less sort of uh, symptomatic sort of way of being, and surely that gives your body just a little bit of space to. Um, to do what it needs to do. Recovering is a word, and you know, recovery is a word that I, I use very carefully. Hello, and welcome to the Natural Healthcare Network podcast. My name is Deb McLeod, and I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in. Today, we have wellness coach Pamela Rose joining us. She's going to talk about her personal journey with myalgic encephalomyelitis or chronic fatigue syndrome and how that led her into becoming a wellness coach. It's really helpful for practitioners listening and also anyone who is afflicted with this chronic health issue. Thank you so much for joining me today, Pamela. It is great to have you here. I'm really interested and happy that you are joining me to talk about a health condition that is affecting 2 to 4% of the population in the United Kingdom, and that is chronic fatigue syndrome, or ME, and also fibromyalgia. So I really appreciate your being here and sharing some information with me. Thanks, Deb. It's it's really great to be here and, and talk to you about this. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to this. Now, let's kick off with your story. And really, it's about how or why you started to become a wellness coach. But let's rewind and talk about your own health journey, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, it, it is really relevant because um, it's it's been a real journey and it starts 10, maybe even now, 11 years ago when um, I... I myself was was diagnosed with um, with ME, as I uh, liked to 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 refer to it as. Um, some people call it chronic fatigue, and in hindsight, I also had a dollop of fibromyalgia thrown in. But that Gosh. was um, formally diagnosed ten years ago. But but it it started before that. So I found myself in a situation where I'd uh, I'd built built my life back. Um, I'd had a, a, a rather upsetting relationship that I'd got out of and life hadn't been so great. Um, but I'd, I'd built that back. I'd, I'd met a new a new man. Um, we were we were living together, had a job that I enjoyed, a uh, very demanding job, but, but a job that I enjoyed. Um, and, and things were good, but then suddenly they weren't anymore. And um, I had a, a series of health issues. And in hindsight, you know, I think the warning signs were there. My, my body was trying to tell me, and I know you agree with this. Um, my body was trying to tell me that um, I needed to slow down um, and that it needed a bit of space. But I didn't listen. <laughs> we don't really do we I was back then I was in my late 30s and I thought I you know I knew it all and I was full of the 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 positivity and love of life that I I had again after like I say getting getting into a much better place so long story short 
bits of me started to disappear. I lost my tonsils, lost my appendix, um, had a number of, of other things like shingles, which I believe are, are a sign as well that your immune system is perhaps getting a bit compromised. You'll, you'll perhaps know more about that than me. And it led to, to a, a formal diagnosis of, of, um, of ME. And how did that feel for you? It's somewhat annoying when people, when I listen to people say, how do you feel about that? But it really is quite poignant. How was it for you to have a formal diagnosis after having had all of those things happening? How was it for you to have that diagnosis? Gosh, that's an interesting question. It was, um, it was important for, for, for more than one reason. Um, there was a practical reason because mm-hmm. I needed that piece of paper from my GP that I could show to my employer and get a mm-hmm. bit of time off. But I think that um, it was also really important for me to just to know or to understand what was happening. Um, I think uh, it's possible we'll, we'll talk more about this over the coming hour or so. The, you know, the, the, there are different ways people f- uh, end up with a diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. like that some people wake up and suddenly you know overnight they've they've found that that they've been hit um other people like me it was it was a a bit of a a journey um but i still wanted to know i still needed it to be confirmed and and um in hindsight naively i thought well you know i want to get a proper diagnosis because then they can tell me what to do to get better yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and I was, you know, uh, poised and, and waiting for the, the consultant at the, the pain clinic at our local hospital to sort of tell me, well, right, okay, what do I do then? What, what pill do I take? What, you know, what are you going to do to get me back? Um, but as I found out, that's actually, uh, that's not what they do. They can't do it. There's nothing they can actually really prescribe that will be a guaranteed fix. Or indeed, um, you know, give you any sort of um, timescale. How did they convey that to you? Because, I mean, that was 10 years ago. From my understanding, really, of people that I have worked with now, there is not re- it's not much different. No, I, d- I don't think it is. Um, but then um, I was I was lucky. I had, you know, a lovely consultant who had, a, you know, a wonderful sympathetic manner and and you know what have you but but really it was the verbal equivalent of shrugging their shoulders and looking at me sympathetically and giving me a bit of a thumbs up and good luck and and off Mm. off I go there really wasn't a lot that they could or would offer they did offer me group cognitive behavioral therapy cbt that was the only real offering that they could or would make at that time and I, I I think you're right Deb I don't think things have changed that much I think that continues to be the case um and I and I'm I'm sure a lot of people do benefit from it and I wouldn't want anybody to think that I'm um stating CBT overall but but for me personally um I didn't find it very helpful uh, yeah. well not not in the way they intended um and- I understand what their thinking is on that of trying to reduce the stress. Did they address that with you as to why they suggested that you do CBT? No, um, no, not back then. Um, I think there was a, a real lack of, of explanation about anything, really. Um, mm-hmm. It was very two-dimensional, a lot of uh, written fact sheets about things. But I think 
you know, I don't think I'm that different from most people. I like to understand why I'm being um, told or, or why something's being recommended to me. If I understand it, I think it's more likely to to work or I'm more likely to, to perhaps um, stay with the program, as it were. Yeah. And with CBT, I think where that failed was it was the, the group element oh. and I think that I walked into that first session and those those poor people had been in that situation for years and years many of them and so I was a newly diagnosed person walking in to a room full of people who had been I use this word lightly but sort of victims of this condition because it is awful it's horrible um and they, they'd been they'd been suffering for, for years they were telling me stories of losing their jobs losing their relationships um nothing about their life was easy and it put the fear of god at me um, <laughs> yeah so it did work in that i left that room thinking i am not i am not going to let this get like that i am going to find a way to to fix myself Right. So, so well, that that's a really nice segue. So, so what did you do? Well, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, gosh, uh, over the years, and it and and we are talking years here. You know, mm-hmm. it took me years to recover, but uh, but certainly over the first few years, I, I would have tried anything. You know, if somebody had uh, offered me some sort of magic rock that would have you know that would have cured me, I'd have given it a go. But the things that I really started to research and look into very quickly were the, the basics, the kind of, um, I, I just knew that I needed to rebuild, as I would have described it then, rebuild my body, rebuild the that kind of, you know, get that strength back. And, and I, I just knew intuitively that I needed to focus on um, the important things like nutrition, sort of what I ate and what have you, as well as, of course, learning the my sort of energy boundaries, if we call them that, and starting a bit of trial and error as to what would help my energy levels, what would um, impact them. A lot of trial and error, really in those first uh, few months and years. It varies for everyone, doesn't it? And we all have to find, or regardless of where we are, what we're doing in our own health journey or whatever mm. we're dealing with, we have to find those ways of how do we slowly improve and how how well we can utilize our energy levels. But particularly with ME, you can zap your energy levels almost immediately. I, I had it, you and I talked about this, mm. and. I don't talk about it a lot, but uh, gosh, um, probably over 30 years ago, I had it. And, you know, I sometimes, if I just would do something simple, like cleaning out a cat litter, I was done for the day. And it's quite interesting that how debilitating it can be. And yet, you know, it is, it's, so it's a real process of learning and identifying how you can push those, how far you can push it or Absolutely. not. Yeah. And, you know, I, I had no idea how much energy it took just to think, you know, I could be, sitting, yeah. I could be sitting still just reading a book or, or say talking to a friend who'd visited or, or something like that and, and be absolutely drained afterwards because, you know, you do, you use up a lot of energy, um, just using your brain. 
Um, so it was a journey of discovery. And, you know, I did also investigate um, some of the sort of alternative therapies, things like reflexology I swore by. Um, I still do. And I think that that's a point there. I A lot of the things that I discovered and a lot of the ways of living my life that I adopted, I, I still do today because they're just good things to do. They keep me well and healthy. And I think I've come through it a much more knowledgeable person about you know what's important to keep, keep us healthy and well. So the great news for you is that you have come through that. And you've also said that from a nutritional standpoint, you were very much into Dr. Sarah Myhill. Yes. And that's sort of how you... Yes you kicked into thinking about the foods that you were eating. So you were doing the reflexology, which is wonderful, but then you were also utilizing some nutritional support as well, weren't you? I, I very much was. And actually at this stage, I should mention my um, my wonderful husband. He was he was my boyfriend at the time. We'd only been together for, for a little over a year. And, um, oh, right. you know, he, he really helped um, both from a supportive point of view, but also because I didn't want to lose him. You know, who wants a girlfriend who can't leave the house? Um, so he, he was great. Um, and it, it was actually it was actually Pete who who first discovered Dr. Myhill's website. And I this just shows how much I've changed in, in just those sort of 10, 11 years. Back then, I, I really I mean, you know, everybody sort of knows that you should really be careful about what you eat and, you know, and what have you. But but even 10, 11 years ago, I think we didn't have quite as much ready uh, sort of knowledge about those things, you know, readily available um, information. And just hadn't occurred to me initially that there might be some real kind of almost prescribed sort of protocols that I could follow that, that, that could help. So he found Dr. Myhill. And I am a huge fan of hers. I would, you know, I'd love to meet her one day because I honestly think she helped me so much. And I didn't go and see her. I wasn't fortunate enough to actually um, be, be treated by her. But she shared a lot of her knowledge and her recommendations via her website. She has a great website. We'll put that on the show notes for yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, back then, I think it was probably quite a, a basic version because, hey, technology's moved on as well in the last 10 years, <laughs> you know, and that's the key point. I, I didn't have, you know, I think probably Facebook did exist then, but it wasn't as big a thing as it is now. And there certainly weren't these Facebook groups mm -hmm. and Instagram hashtags and things. So, you know, there weren't these ready-made online support. There, there were, there were discussion boards, but they were a lot slower moving and what have you you know it wasn't yeah. it wasn't the same thing so anyway she did have a website and yeah I um I, I followed it by the letter and you know I think this is something that we'll come on to talk about I think that you must see this in lo lots of other people with lots of other challenges but certainly these kind of chronic health conditions that we're talking about like ME and fibromyalgia where there's no real there's no real answer. There's no real, not even really a, a known cause. You you want something fact-based. You know, you want something solid that you can follow and believe in because because there just isn't something. You know, you, you, that stake in the ground. And for me, she offered at least something. And it was, yeah, healthy eating, but it was also um, some, some supplements, that I'd never heard of before, but I soon became uh, very knowledgeable and expert in, and and I I'm sh I'm sure I know that that they made a difference. 
Yeah. Food and lifestyle changes as well because the amount of stress that your body's going through when you have a chronic illness, a lot of people have stress and anxiety over that. And then knowing that you've got something wrong with you, but it, the, the doctors can't identify what's wrong with you says there's a lot of push me, pull you going on. So knowing that there are all of these means online can be really helpful. And yet sometimes, and in, in you and I have addressed this before, sometimes that's a good thing because you can become more informed, but other times it's not so good. So it's identifying who who can you go to to talk to about this that understands it hence it's um i mean you're well now you are a, it sounds like you're living a really uh, vital lifestyle and an exciting lifestyle and you have since taken this and transformed your career haven't you to to become a wellness coach to help people so yeah i mean i um i would say it took me 7 years to get back to feeling that i was kind of where I had been before this all started. Um, but do you know, there are, pe- there are some people who would love for it to only take that that long um it, it nevertheless it felt like a, a bit of a a bit of a journey but it it was a gradual you know year by year I was getting better um but yeah seven years before I felt truly back to where I was and and then I, I you know my I just kept feeling drawn to to help people. You know, I was so lucky that I'd had, um, as I say, my supportive boyfriend, my husband, uh, wonderful family, friends here um, in Bristol, and my employer as well. All all credit to them. You know, they were very supportive. But I just knew there were people who who didn't have that, who weren't lucky enough to perhaps have that support network. Or indeed, you know, I, I do think I'm lucky that I had that kind of inbuilt determination uh stubbornness you know this wasn't going to beat me and and also anybody who knows me knows that if I put my mind to something I will stick to it you know um (laughs) so I also stayed there you you don't just try a new supplementation protocol for a week and then give up do you you know it takes Mm -hmm. weeks months to know if it's actually going to help but I I was very you know consistent and I, I just started to feel more and more that I wanted to help people who were where I had been. And it was only once I was truly well enough, though, that, of course, I could really start to turn that into into real action. But but I did. And I walked away from my corporate career, um, you know, wow. senior manager in a financial services uh, company towards the end of that career. And I, and I, I walked away, retrained with a very credible qualification because I, I'd like to do things properly and and set myself up, as, as you said, as a wellness coach. And, and I, you know, I help a range of people, but my passion is in helping people who have got these sorts of chronic illnesses. And, you know, because that's my story. And not only can I help them, I can, I can talk to them from a, uh, you know, from that perspective, which I think they don't get from the medical practitioners that they talk to. Absolutely. You can contextualize it for them and understand. So do you want to talk a little bit about some of the statistics around ME and uh, fibromyalgia? Because we know that it's very difficult to identify that someone has ME. And with fibromyalgia, there are key things that GPs are looking for to identify if someone has fibromyalgia. But I think it's good for us to talk about the statistics, don't you? Yeah. And, and um, they're, you know, they're big. These are big 
numbers. Um, even trying to find real factual kind of statistics about the, the number of people is tricky because it's still, I think, an emerging knowledge really. And it's a diagnosis by elimination. If you, if they test you, you know, they take bloods and, and what have you, and they test you for a certain number of things and they come back clear, but you are also, um, you know, displaying a certain set of symptoms, you will possibly, probably get a diagnosis of um, ME or, or fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia, of course, if you've got some pain, uh, some pain, she says, a lot of pain, uh, and, and uh, ME if you haven't. So the stats, you know, I take mine from, uh, when it comes to talking about uh, ME and chronic fatigue, the, the National Institute of, of Health and Care Excellence, they estimate um, it to be at least 0.2 to 0.4 of the UK population, which, Goodness. which, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because some people may think that doesn't sound like very much, but that's that's prob- that would mean one in two hundred and fifty people have ME or chronic fatigue. One in two hundred and fifty, and that's just in the UK, isn't it? Yes, yes, crazy, exactly. And those those are, are fairly recent figures. And and the NHS, when it comes to fibromyalgia, the NHS estimates that it could be two to four percent of people. And and based on um, when when the stats that I uh, I looked at most recently were were drawn, um, and you know, that is going back a little way when when the UK population was about sixty one million, that would have been between one point two and two point eight million people. So it it, it would be Gosh. more than that now. Um, assuming those the ratios are, are, are the same, um, so we are we're talking millions of people here that that have these struggles. Um, some of those will be formally diagnosed. Some of them, some of them perhaps not, because as you can tell with those numbers, it can take a while perhaps to get an appointment with your local specialist department wherever you live, you know, your local hospital. So can you just tick off some key signs and symptoms? Uh, Would you like to talk about that just so we rattle those off? And I'll provide them on the show notes as well, just as a reference. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing about this is that that everybody's different, both the symptoms and the severity of them, but also um, the what helps them. And it's something that as a, as a practitioner, I actually find particularly interesting and, and it does bring that kind of, you know, variation. And, and it's why it's so important that I treat everybody as an individual. And, and we'll come on to that, of course, when we're talking about the help that, that you and your colleagues can give. So as far as symptoms, obviously fatigue is one of them. Um, but you see, even then you've got some people who sleep all the time. You know, it, it, they literally could sleep all day if they if they let themselves. But then I talk to people who, you know, sleep is so elusive. They're so tired, but they they just cannot sleep. I was on that side of things, I have to say. Um, I found sleep a huge challenge and had to really focus in on my sleep hygiene and, and what have you to improve it. So, you know, as a as an example of, of that, variation in, in, in the symptoms and how people can experience them. You know, that's 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 a, an interesting one. Um, one of the real, and, and this is one of the things the NHS will use as an indicator, one of the real signs of, of ME is delayed fatigue. So where you, you will do something, you're feeling particularly well one day, so you go for a walk or you um, 
blitz the house or you know you do something you do something quite energy intense but then you actually don't suffer the repercussions sometimes for two or three days so you one you know this is a real sort of hallmark <laughs> symptom of me is that you don't know you've overdone it at the time it's too late by the time you realize and this is something going back to what I said earlier about you know one of the first things I had to do was kind of and what I help my clients do is is tune in on what what that pattern is you know for them and and I had to do that for me brain fog ah lovely brain fog it's just unless you've (laughs) suffered from it it's very difficult to explain it to people but you know it's I don't mean to laugh uh, oh well well, I'm calling it lovely firmly tongue-in-cheek because it's it's yeah um I mean (laughs) I still would like to blame it occasionally when I I can't remember the elimination earlier when I couldn't remember the name you know that's just me being me um but but you've got brain fog you know you you can't remember your name sometimes let alone you know particular words for things and it's just horrible um so yeah these these are the sorts of things that that challenge people and you know everybody's different you can have headaches i mean fibromyalgia of course pain is the marker there you know and and it you know it can be all over and we're talking crippling pain yeah joints and and what have you hands that are almost unusable because they're in so much pain so it's you know these these are awful conditions to have to live with and you do have to live with it you know it's 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 tough well I mean you know it, it sucks doesn't it if you don't mind me saying that no no I don't mind I wouldn't mind I think there are certain things that it it's important to acknowledge that it's mm. it does suck <laughs> and it's it's you know so many people have to go through such an arduous process to actually have that acknowledgement that it is not yes. in their head yes um it you know and they are often feeling like it is only in their head when they go for numerous tests and people can't identify it and i like the fact that you say well everyone is different so all their symptoms are going to be different and i think that's I think it contextualizes it. It's one of my favorite words. It contextualizes it for people because they can say, hey, that's okay. That that makes me feel better that I'm not yeah. going mad and that there is something actually going on within me. And so many people are going through high levels of stress, high levels of anxiety, poor sleep, fatigue, and they don't, they're not able to get through that and they don't understand why. And it could be well right now with everything that's going on we there's so everyone is feeling mm. a sense of stress but some it's going to be overinflated um, because yeah. they're not well and how to manage that yeah. so we can go down umpteen million rabbit holes on this but i i think what i would like to talk a bit is is now that you are a wellness coach, just as an aside, did you, I'll jump back, did you go through some formal training to become a wellness coach? Yeah, um, I, I, I most certainly did. I'm, I'm the kind of person who likes to do things. If I'm going to do something, I'll do it properly. And, you know, I, d- I don't yeah. take this lightly. I am helping people um, 
get their lives back. And I want to make sure that every minute I I spend with them and help them is worthwhile for them. So um, although I, towards the latter stage of my corporate career, I was um, performing a, a sort of senior corporate coaching role, I very much wanted to get something that would give me the the permission, I suppose, to to have these have these conversations and and to to help people. So. Um, I got a level five diploma in, in performance coaching, which is a good, solid qualification. And the thing I love about performance coaching is, you know, it's all about looking forward. It's about keeping that positive mindset, which I think is so important. It's about identifying what you want to achieve and it's about getting there. And as I say, I don't only work with people who have got these chronic illnesses. You know, I've worked with people who are, uh, who've got sports related goals or, or just want a kind of a general life MOT. But the key is to have something that you want to achieve and, and, and a goal that you want to, to get to. So, But the other thing I did as well was, was find a qualification that um, incorporated neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. Oh, right. which I'm fascinated with. I, I always have been and, and I absolutely see where it can play a part in helping people to move away from those, as you said, those sort of anxious mindsets and, and into a much more positive space. I, it's in my toolkit. I use it um, if it's appropriate to do so. Don't always, but it's something that I, I do find absolutely fascinating. And as part of my CPD, you know, I'm continuing to, to build my awareness on that because our brains are so clever, aren't absolutely. they? Absolutely. Yeah. We can also fool them quite easily um, by, <laughs> by you know, just deciding and choosing that we're going to, to think differently. And and that, that is, you know, it is key. The, the, the amygdala is always firing off and, and in particular with people with ME and fibromyalgia, you're constantly scanning your body and thinking, uh-oh, is this going to be a bad day? Am I about to have a crash? And you're overthinking and you're looking for every little um, warning sign. And, and that, you know, you can, I, I'm sure you can think yourself into having a crash. And, and sorry, I should say that a crash in ME terms is when you 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 basically just have a, a an energy crash where you you, you know yeah. it can be either just you can't get out of bed or, or certainly you can't really perform uh, your normal life or anywhere close to to your normal life and and you feel pretty awful at the time you know that malaise feeling going back to the symptoms I I say to people it, it who are who are curious as to what it feels like for me it felt like I had um that that malaise feeling where you feel like you're coming down with flu or a nasty mm. cold and you think uh-oh I feel yucky and you know achy and horrible that's how I felt for years you know that's that's yeah. how how it feels to have ME for a lot of people so yes I very much ensured that I gathered the right qualifications to uh, properly coach and support people. But also, I'm, I'm fascinated with these other things I can add to my toolkit, like NLP, that can really help. And then I'm really aware that there are some things that I would love to study and get solid qualifications in because I'm fascinated in them, like nutrition, uh, what have <laughs> you. But I have to recognize that, you know, there are limits. I can't do, I can't do everything, nor should I, I think. So I surround myself with people who, who have got those other qualifications as and when my clients need them. 
Yeah, I think collaborating provides, it's, I think it's that support system that, and having a network of people that can come in and support you as you are helping your clients so you can bring them in and provide some guidance, such as nutritional therapy or acupuncture or Reiki or you know, any sort of iridology, all kinds of different ways that we can help our clients and and also utilizing conventional medicine as well is equally important. So having all of those alliances in our toolkit, I think is is so invaluable. Plus cranial osteopaths, I swear by them. Oh, gosh, yes, yes. You know, it's, um, (laughs) no, no, it's great. It's great. So I can see why you, we, we would all love to, to be the, the go-to person, but I know having that network of people that you can pull out and say, this is who you need to go and see. Is gonna... I think so. I mean, it's, it's that old saying, isn't it? Uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. Um, these yeah. are important things that people are, you know, giving their hard-earned pounds to us, for, you know, to get, to get help in return. And we need to be uh, giving them that expert help, don't we? We need to be giving them value for for that money, and um, and so I, you know, I, I don't. There's very much a line that I'm aware I I can't and shouldn't step over. Um, so, and I think nutrition is a, an obvious one where I think it's easy for people to sort of read an article or buy a twenty nine pound qualification from Groupon and and <laughs> think that they know it all uh, but that can be so dangerous can't it yeah because we know that people don't come to these health issues in any one particular format we've got to identify what the cause is so we uh, unpick it like you do um, and and identify the best way to support them whether it's through just food whether it's through the supplementation as well and lifestyle changes those are all equally important to help support the client's health and well-being so let's talk about your clients and when they come to see you so it's not just about the the clients that have ME and or fibromyalgia when a client comes to see you what are some of their their key issues that you're helping them focus on and some of the things that as a practitioner myself how would I be able to work with you as well? So that's a multifaceted question, isn't it, really? Sorry. Yeah, gosh. Well, I'm trying uh, to do it, uh, Credit. One of the, the, the situations I have is that uh, when people come to me for the first time, um, they can be in, in different um, stages of their own journey. They can either be very recently diagnosed and, and literally um, are just, uh, you know, wanting to find out some very basic, simple things that they can start doing uh, from, from the very beginning to, to, like I did in hindsight, to really start to um, to catch what's going on and, and, and start to turn it around quite quickly. Or, or it can be talking to people who have had this for months, if not years, and they're fully weighed down by it and, and have perhaps only recently woken up to the fact that there might be some stuff that they can actually do themselves. Um, so, you know, even from that very early stage, and, and I'm very aware, um, I'm not sure how you and your practitioners work, but I know that um, quite often 
I, I've had to do it myself. Uh, you, you get given quite a long health questionnaire to fill out when you're um, signing up to, to talk to somebody. Now, I'm very aware that, of course, for a lot of my clients, um, certainly the ones that have got ME and fibromyalgia, they are <laughs> just filling in a long questionnaire could could exhaust them. So I have to, uh, in a very smart way, you know, identify and really understand where they're at without asking them, you know, 101 questions. So, so that's the first thing. And then really, it's about sort of plotting where they are on on that journey. And, you know, calling on my coaching uh, qualifications, but also some of the NLP methods that, I, that I've learned, I, I've come up with a bit of a framework. And I'm a really visual person, which is why a, a podcast quite, um, quite a, an unusual <laughs> thing for me, because it's all just about, you know, voices, but I'm usually a very visual person. If you could see me, my, my arms are uh, very, um, you know, I'm gesturing I can all tell. over the place here. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've come up with a, a visual metaphor, really, based around um, uh, an ME elevator. Oh, right. And um, it's it's a lovely, if you could see it, it's lovely. It's a, a lovely visual diagram of a sort of a 1920s Art Deco lift with the dial going um, from, from the ground floor up to the penthouse. And I work with my clients um, from at the very beginning anyway to just get them from floor to floor to sort of get out on that floor, think about what it is that they're um they're looking to achieve and sort of bring it to life for them so that they're feeling it. So for instance, the, the ground floor is acceptance. And even that is different for everybody. You know, I, I, I'm not, I'm very careful when I work with my clients and I would suggest that for yourself and your um, the audience for this podcast, you're aware that accepting doesn't mean saying it's okay to have whatever illness or conditions going on but it's accepting that at least life's a little bit different isn't it it's about accepting that this is happening it sucks as we've already yeah. mentioned but you know I think in, unless there's a certain amount of of exploring that word acceptance and what it means for each individual can't really then go up onto the different floors from that and you can see here now how this how this all sort of works and then we move up from floor to floor the 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 the, the next floor up is is tuning and that's all about being in in touch with themselves and tuning in as as, as we talked about earlier with you know what's their pattern um you know how is it two days later that they realize they've overdone it? Is it three? Is it hours later? What's their own? Um, how do they know? What What are the signs that their body gives off that might just be little early indicators that something's um, going on? So again, I can talk through with them. There are certain things that I, I talk them through that really starts to um, help them to understand that. Um, and then we move up to kind of how do you actually start to cope with these things and in my view and, and very much the way I work with my clients is first of all to get them to a place where they are coping better with the symptoms right. they've got you know I, I truly think you've got to get to that place where you're coping before you can start to turn your your sights on recovery and actually I do I also think if you're coping you will start to hopefully move towards recovery because because you're not, you know, you're letting your body, you, you're, you're, you're getting into a calmer, less sort of uh, symptomatic sort of way of being, and surely that gives your body just a little bit of space to, um, to do what it needs to do. Recovering is a word, and you know, recovery is a word that I, I use very carefully. 
because as you and I have talked about in the past, um, a lot of people don't recover. Um, a lot of people do, but we don't hear about them because they they go off and live their lives and 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 don't come back and hang yeah. around the the discussion groups and support groups yeah. and things. Yeah. Quite rightly, you know, I'm guilty of that myself. But I do think that even those who wouldn't class them as having rec- you know, wouldn't have classed themselves as having recovered. Um, it, it is absolutely possible to get to a an improved position, um, and and I've absolutely seen that with the work that I've done. So um, so yeah, so we've got this lovely visual metaphor based around this Emmy elevator, which I use to a greater or lesser extent. Some people work really well with that sort of thing, especially if we're face to face at the moment. As you touched on earlier, we're in the, what are we in now, day four of yeah. lockdown um, during coronavirus, so. for those who are listening yeah. to this in, in, in real time. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, my sessions are all happening via um, Zoom and, and FaceTime and, and, you know, video conferencing type um, software. But these sorts of um, analogies and metaphors still still work well that way. Um, I, I very much read each person uh, and talk to them and, and use an approach that I, I believe will work work for them, um, as I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, absolutely. You need to see where 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 they are. It's about them. You know, this is the the instant you know everyone likes to to make fun of the or coin the phrase that it's all about me. And actually when it comes to these these situations it really is about them which is I think a challenge for for a lot of people because they're not used to really saying well what about me and what's going on with me and they have to talk it through and and becoming more aware of who they are and where they are and what's going on but I think that's a societal thing which is also very interesting with the coronavirus is that everyone's so used to being at such a frenetic pace that that we have been forced to slow down so this is bringing forth a lot of interesting thoughts about really identifying where you are right now in this moment. Absolutely. And, you know, to have, without one to, just to bring it back to me, um, (laughs) as we were just saying, um, you know, I think that to have a chronic illness, whatever it be, or or an acute one, to have anything wrong with you, and also have um, the the current concerns about coronavirus overlaid over the top is not great at all, and it's it's a it's a worrying time for anybody who's also who, who already had some sort of health challenge. So, I think there are some lessons that can be learned, and there are some some people that I I'm helping or have helped who have learned how to get back to basics, how to live a very simple life I'm using that word because I think you need to strip out the stuff that you know you'd like to do but you can't you know you you have to get back to just being able to get through the stuff that's important every day those basic things you know with some people it's just being able to get up get washed get dressed and put around the house is a Mm. success Mm -hmm. you know um so I think you know, there are, there are some lessons that can be learned from some of the people that, that are figuring out how to cope with life with a, with a chronic illness. You know, they're, they're used to being housebound. They're used to having to live with a situation where you've not got that defined endpoint. You know, that's, that's the thing we're all living with at the moment with yeah. coronavirus, yeah. isn't it? You know, when's it going to end? 
nobody knows. Um, so there are a lot of parallels, actually. Um, and I think that, yeah, you know, um, that said as well, there are there are challenges that my clients have got that they wouldn't have had before. Um, their routines are, are being knocked out because they've got, whether it be, you know, homeschooling kids at home now that they weren't having to do, whether it's just having their their husbands working from home that they wouldn't usually have had, you know, under their feet or wives. Yeah. yeah. And do you find, so when you're working with your clients, I know it's more prominent in women than it is men, but there are men out there that do have it. I just don't want to, I, and I know you don't negate this. I just thought I would give them a, a shout out. No, as no, well. no. Um, but when yeah. you're talking with your clients, do you find that there are some key things that you provide them so they can hang on to because we talked about this before there's so much on google and it's great the the internet is wonderful but it's also got some real drawbacks in that if you look things up then you're sure you're either going to die in five seconds or you're either going to get the wrong advice from someone which is not really helpful so how do you as a as a, a wellness coach what are some things that you do to, to give your clients something to, this is the wrong word, but to chew on. I'm using that. It sounds quite interesting as a nutritional therapist. Of course I would use that as a pun, but give them something <laughs> to, I think you said to hang their hat on. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, really, really good question because they want something, they want something tangible and that, that stake in the ground that, you know, peg to hang their hat on. And really, um, a a couple of things immediately spring to mind. One is I'm very careful at the beginning to help them in whatever way is appropriate, really capture and, and sometimes score how they're feeling when, when we first meet and we first start working together, because I think sometimes, um, as that relationship goes forward and, and I start to hopefully help them improve and, and, and cope uh, in a better way, they, they, it's easy to forget the starting point. And I think for them to be able to look back and, and really um, see and acknowledge that they have made great progress in, in itself is, is, is hugely beneficial. Um, and I think that as a coach, the interesting situation I have is you don't tell people what to do you know I don't advertise myself as and gosh you know neither should anybody as as a healer or a fixer I'm here to help them pick through the minefield of pieces of information and potential cures and fixes and what have you and just help them sift through all of the available things that they have bearing in mind what their lives were before and what their own personal preferences are um, and, and help them really come up with a, a plan and an approach that, that, as I said, they are then going to consistently follow for long enough to know if it's helping and if it's going to work. That's where I can move into, perhaps because of my own story, a, a more mentoring role rather than um, just a coach. Although I'm still very aware that um, they have to make their own choices and, and, and decisions about what's what's right for them. But we're back to what I would laughed about earlier, the, you know, the whole magic rock thing, you know, or, or drink celery juice every day and, and you'll fix yourself. You know, there are a lot of people out there out to make a fast buck, aren't they? And let's face it, preying on the anxieties and the hopelessness that these people are suffering from you, you know you really want something scientific to hang on to and I think 
certainly for me, and, and I've seen time again, I think that's why people tend to nutrition and they may read an article about leaky gut or or something like that, you know, something tangible that there might be a test for. Um, and isn't that great? Because you'll get a test result and a test result is... Um, you know, that's black and white, isn't it? That's not this sort of ongoing, uncertain future. That would be saying that there is something that you can do something about. But again, I will very well, you know, I will I will make sure that if one of my clients expresses an interest in anything in that space, that I, I make it clear that, you know, that it might come back clear. It, you know, it, they could they could spend um, money and time on following up some of these things, only to for it to be another eliminated thing. So again, I think we need to be careful as uh, practitioners, uh, whether it's in your area of expertise or mine, that we don't that we recognise that that people are, have got these kind of desperate urges to want to um, investigate and and pursue potential fixes and if they are lucky enough to also have a certain amount of expendable mm-hmm. income there are some people that could take advantage of that and I think we need to be very mindful yeah, of that yeah and I mean I think the the big thing that you and I have addressed also is that we will have come to some reason for having certain diagnostic tests to be taken, but it's it's a screenshot of a day. So it's always going to be that moment in time. So those are things yeah. that we have to take into account as well. But it's utilizing all of those things to help you come to some sort of means or ways to support the clients. That's uh, certainly, I think, the way we both operate as uh, you as a wellness coach and as naturopathic nutritionists or holistic practitioners, we look to dig deep and then pull back out, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolute perfect sense. I mean, it's it's what a wonderful world we live in where you know, we have the internet, we have <laughs> access to information and online providers and shops that, that we didn't have before. Mm. But, you know, as much as it's 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 wonderful, it, it can be dangerous, as you said. And, you know, even if, you know, just to go back to the question you asked me around, what do I do to make sure that, that you know, they I'm keeping them safe, they're keeping themselves safe, but they've got something to focus on positively. I mean, supplementation is a really good example of that. And I will make sure that we talk through, well, how can you, you know, okay, so you're interested in supplementation, but, you know, for, for whatever reason, you want to go it alone and, and, and investigate and come up with your own protocol. How can you make sure that you are getting the right advice and that you're basing any decisions on um, on sensible guidance rather than, um you know, whoever is is portraying themselves as the latest doctor of something on uh, on the internet, and then of course, where, where do you purchase them from? Because um, you're much more of an expert than than me on this, I know. But you know, going and buying something off the shelf in a supermarket from a supplement point of view versus perhaps a, another source, you know, you can you can have varying qualities of supplements as well, can't you? Yeah, so many people do just go in and do their own doctoring because they've seen these protocols and that protocols and, and sometimes they work. I mean, Sarah, my health worked wonders for you, 
but there weren't a lot of nutritional therapists around then. And some supplements can be the wrong things to take, particularly if they're on medication. So it is important to have someone to talk with about one to ask why they're on these supplements. But being a practitioner, I would be able to back up why I want them to take these supplements and what they're going to be doing to help support their system. And that is, um, that's, that's vital. That is where that is so helpful for them. And so many people are doing it themselves. And so I always cringe when people start talking about that. Well, this is why I absolutely recognise that as soon as um, discussion, if I start to to talk to a client and our our discussions get anywhere into that um, real uh, expert view on nutrition and and dietary advice and supplementation and what have you, that is where I would suggest that they go and speak to an expert. Um, you know, I mean, I can, I will have conversations with them if if I've got somebody who's eating chocolate for breakfast and quite clearly is not eating a, a healthy diet. You know, it, it, we can we can have some useful conversations around. You know, what what is their understanding of is that healthy and do they think that that is helping them and what could they do to just even start to make small adjustments yeah. to their diet that might get them into a healthier place you know I, I think that that's okay but but absolutely as you just said you know if they need real expert advice backed up by that absolute knowledge and science that's when they need to speak to an expert such as such as yourself and and the audience for this podcast I guess well and it's also just helping them understand that as nutritional therapists, we generally like to take a food first approach because the power of foods and how they can help you know, food is medicine. And again, it's understanding why it's the same thing as your your coaching and the approaches that you take. It's understanding the why these things are going to be relevant to those people. And it is a very powerful resource they have in the same thing that you're doing with them as you're educating them and saying, with your metaphors of saying, well, let's look at where you are right here and you are giving them the toolkit so they can start feeling better. And that's exactly how we would would function with you. So, yeah, you know, I think, um, as I said earlier, you know, I was very aware. I just felt that I needed to kind of rebuild my body, help it get strong and well again. And, and, you know, nutrition and, and what I ate was, to me, felt like the obvious place to start there. It's interesting. I think that it, it won't necessarily be an overnight cure, but it could certainly knock them backwards if they're not focusing on this. And another, I, I did listen to um, a couple of your recent podcasts, actually, um, talking about uh, COVID-19. And, and um, you know, one of the things that was called out was that I think people, given these times we're in at the moment, they're reconnecting with food again. And they're going back to basics a bit more and realizing that actually, if, you, you know, it's how we cook and what we cook and what we eat um, is so important, isn't it? Yeah, I think the reconnecting with the foods, with ourselves, all of those things that you're talking about are, are going to be so vital for us, not just today, but going forward. Um, now, I, I mean, this is really, really helpful. What we haven't, one of the things I'm going to, we could talk about this for hours and hours, really, you and I could, but one of the things I want to, to, to shout out about was that you have a book. You've written a book, aren't oh, you? Gosh, You're an, yes. Haven't you? You're an author. Well, yeah. And I think it's a imp- chapter in a book. 
(laughs) You're still an author and it's been published. And I think it would be nice for us to share that with people so they could use that as a resource for themselves and and also as a, a point or a way for them to see some of the things that you're doing. Is that okay? Yeah, well, um, fantastic. And and it's nice to give a, a kind of a shout out to, to the other 23 authors who are in the cool. book. And this is, um, it's a, the book is called The Bounce Back Journey. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's basically, it's a collection of real stories, of uplifting stories uh, by, you know, 24 of us about having recovered, got our lives back after something, something bad's happened. So for me, I tell my story of, of Emmy pretty much you know what I've talked about here in a, in, a, in a bit more detail of course but um, oh gosh there are some amazing people in the book and the, the common theme is as I say it's people who have bounced back from something bad that's happened and it, some of it's health related some of it's relationship or, or to do with you know fertility or whatever it might be but such an inspiring read and you know I was so pleased to be in, invited to contribute because you know I think this whole you know people people need to see that that it is possible for for things to get better and for for people to at the time when something's happening to you of course you're so in in that situation aren't Mm -hmm. you and it's it's so deep that you just think oh gosh is life ever going to (laughs) going to get better again but but for most people, it does. It might be different. It might be a different kind of good. Sometimes it can end up better than it was before, which in my case, I truly think was, you know, has happened. But yeah, so it's, it's called The Bounce Back Journey. I think at the moment, um, especially, it's it's just a really lovely, positive, inspirational read. And because of that, it is apparently it's, it's, it's only 99p on Amazon at the moment, if you if you if you want the kindle yeah. version um yeah so so that's you know another way of just um getting these positive messages out there and and really showing people that even if they don't come and see me and 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 work with me hopefully it it gets across some some advice around these basics that we've talked about you know it's about finding smart ways to balance out your energy throughout the day I don't know if you you're familiar with the spoon theory but go on um it's it's a wonderful analogy it 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 was an essay that was written by a girl who had um it wasn't she doesn't have me or fibro it was something else that she was suffering from anyway she wrote an essay about what it was like to get through the day with with a compromised energy level and the spoon theory is about the fact that we've only got we've all only got a certain number of spoonfuls of energy in any particular mm-hmm. day um, say 20 and my spoons might be smaller than yours or bigger than yours but you know you've got a finite amount of energy in any one day everybody has you know and you know for somebody with um an energy compromised condition you know just getting up and getting showered and getting dressed could use four or five spoons and then you know you get through the morning that's maybe another one or two and then you make lunch and that's another couple and then you and so it's a really great way of um understanding and pacing your own and getting your head around your own situation but i tell you it's also a fantastic way of getting others to understand what it's like and to understand that even though you might not look ill 
because this is an invisible illness in, in some ways. And so you might look well, but but actually come nine o'clock once you've, you know, got through the day, you've put the kids to bed, whatever it might be, and you've you've got no spoons left. If 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 your friend phones you for a chat, you just you just haven't got anything to give them. And you have to say, I'm so sorry, I haven't got any spoons left today. And they'll know what you mean. <laughs> and they'll say, okay, I'll call you a bit earlier tomorrow, save me a spoon. <laughs> and you, you do, you start talking in that way. So, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's just these basic things in, in, in the book around smart ways to balance your energy, ensuring, as I say, that people around you know what you need to do and the importance of of protecting your routine or your protocol, whatever it is that you're calling it. Um, uh, have some quiet time every day. I think that's so important. And I mean quiet, not just sitting in a quiet room reading, like doing nothing. Um, and as you've said, trying to stay calm, as calm and, and positive as possible. So yes, that's the book. Thank you for mentioning that's it. It's really good because I was thinking it's a wonderful follow-on. We're talking about the quiet time and the downtime and the spoons and the spoon theory. I was thinking from a, a standpoint of managing stress and again, life right now is before COVID-19 was quite stressful. And now with COVID-19, we're essentially on house restriction. Uh, you've got some key tips that you're providing your clients, or is this going to be on your website where I can direct people to your website so they can see some key tips that you're saying, these are some things to enable or help yourself that you're providing people right now? Yeah, yeah. So I've I've started okay. that. Um, I I wrote a bl- uh, my latest blog, oh, yeah. which um, I published this week, is, is starting to do cool. that. Um, again, I'm very aware that my audience, um, long, huge, long articles, um, are not what they need. Uh, they'd find that very tiring. So I tend to keep them fairly short and 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 have that kind of content planned out over over a series of days or weeks or even months. So this week's blog was really just starting to talk to them about the fact that you know as if we didn't have enough to cope with having a chronic illness and now we've got COVID-19 on top of it and and really just empathizing with them that you know I can I I I absolutely and and I'm sure you can because you've been there too I can absolutely uh, empathize with how they must be feeling at the moment and there you know a lot of people will have got to the stage where they were actually starting to turn a corner they were coping okay maybe not brilliantly but they were starting to be able to focus on their their lives their routines their you know um their approaches to this and then suddenly bam you know their life has been turned upside down to a certain extent and you know it's about this first message is, and how I'm talking to my clients is now is about you know try to do what you can to protect that mm. space that you'd, you'd, you'd built and, and that routine you'd created and you might just need to for example be a bit more vocal or, or you know overtly you know talk to your your family about the fact that you need that space and you need to be able to continue to do that um because they might not have even been around for much of the day before so they they need to know that you know 
at best compromises need to be found between the new way of living and and you continuing with with what was working for you so so that's the start of the journey but yes i will certainly um on my website i will be publishing um blogs regularly right. to to just support and 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 hopefully help people with with a few basic suggestions um as as we go through this time that's that's wonderful and i guess in some ways it's kind of going back to the visual metaphor you have starting back with basic again isn't it because I loved that mm. visual metaphor I thought it was terrific is that on your website as well it, it isn't I am thinking of putting it on there in some way it comes to life when I'm talking about it so I, I I'm thinking about perhaps doing a bit of a video okay. about it um but yeah um just so that you know because I mentioned some of the flaws uh, there are six of them uh, in the in the first phase so you've got you've got accepting tuning which we talked about pacing which is about that energy and your spoons and, and and ideally spreading them out throughout the day. Softening, as I call it, which is about that quiet time and just emptying your head and and softening your body, just trying your, your whole existence, really. Um, the next uh, floor is believing. And this is about believing uh, that you are that you are in a better place because I, again, especially years into um, your, your, your kind of improvement journey, it's really difficult to let go of that fear of, of, of sliding yeah. backwards and, and doing something that's going to send you right back to square one. That was the, the final thing for me. I don't know about you, but, but to kind of release that and just, just enjoy life and, and not be so, so worried yeah. about, um, getting ill or, or overdoing it and sliding backwards yeah. and then and then the penthouse is is coping so it's about being at that stage walking around on that penthouse floor and what does it feel like what is that goal you know sometimes we'll start with walking around on, on the penthouse floor around how you know imagine what what do you want to feel because I don't know how much you know about NLP but but f- with future pacing it's very much about visualizing what you want to achieve so sometimes it's really useful to take people up to that penthouse floor what is it you want you where is it you want to get okay let's go back down and let's let's work our way up there and and at various stages in this metaphor you know, they might get off on a floor and, and go and see somebody else and knock on an office door, you know, uh, uh, if we want to take that analogy forward. You know. uh, a nutritionist, you know, I've got, I'm sure everybody has has their sort of little network of people that they would you know, go to people that they would recommend. And, and I've certainly got that. So it, it's not just about uh, me and yeah. them. It can it can involve other other cast members too. Yeah. I know you work with the lovely Linda Sims. <laughs> I do. Oh, she's wonderful. Yeah, she, she, is. she really is. Um, not, not only yeah. wonderful, very knowledgeable. So, yeah, good friend as well. So, and she's how you and I met. So, it's really nice. She is. Yes, and it's great to have somebody like Linda who, you know, I know and trust and, and I know that she understands what these, you know, how these people will be feeling and, and, and I can literally sort of almost hand off to her while they go through whatever she's guiding them through and then and then they come back yeah. to me with that knowledge uh, that she's given to them and any test results that they might have had and we, we take that forward and, and wrap it into our, our approach. Yeah, it's a really nice support system that you have for each other and for the clients so it's really good. Listen, uh, this has been fantastic. I love all the information you've shared with me. And I think it's great that people have 
the key stages that you work with your clients on. And, you know, that's been invaluable. And I think is an invaluable tool for all of us to integrate into our lives, to our lifestyles, to help our clients with just as a standpoint of being okay, coming to terms with it, and then identifying how you're wanting to be. I think those are all brilliant ways to work. It's a, a terrific approach. So We'll put, um, I'll put a link to your website on the show notes. I'll put uh, a link for the book to Amazon on the website and probably some links for the statistics that you provided me as well. And any, any other things, uh, Sarah Myhill, we'll put a link to her page. And, and please, you know, if, if any of your, your own network and, and people listening to this um, would like to just talk through any of that in, in a bit more detail, and certainly if they've got any clients who are in that space, you know, I'm more than happy to do so because it, you know, I, I hope this will be useful. It Understanding the mindset of people who have got this empty, ongoing sort of lack of real prognosis sort of situation is different perhaps to, I guess, some of the people you see that just know that they could be healthier or need to, or have been, I don't know, been, been diagnosed with diabetes or something, which is a very sort of firm fixed thing that you can give real factual evidence, you know, clear advice yeah. about. This is, this is a slightly different landscape, isn't it? And, and the, you know, people who come to see you with these conditions will be, will be scared. They'll be frustrated. They'll be, they'll be, they'll be anxious, but they'll also be, you know, desperate to get something that they can, they can focus on and, and something factual and what they eat and the science around, you know, the, the, the basic sort of, macronutrients and and things I mean that's your world not mine as far as expertise is concerned that does give them something to really focus on doesn't it and and something really important to focus on as well yeah and again how working with you on those things can be so beneficial is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't addressed so far um, I don't think so. I think we've covered covered most of it. I think, you know, I'm very aware of the, the audience of this, you know, the, the key audience, shall I say. I'm sure all sorts of people listen to your wonderful podcast, but yeah, very I'm very cool. aware that your, your target audience are your fellow practitioners. And mm-hmm. I really just want to hopefully lift the lid a little bit on what it's like to be somebody who has got this particular health challenge and, and might be um, seeking some help from, from, you know, somebody in your field of expertise. So um, I, ho- I hope that's come across in some way. Yes, it has. It has in more ways than one. You've been absolutely brilliant. It's, it's great to hear different perspectives, your own and what you hear from your clients and understanding your own knowledge in the science, your own science-based work that you're doing. So it's really a great it's great for us to hear it's because it's a complicated yeah. health condition really and it's teamwork isn't it mm-hmm. and yeah. together mm-hmm. I honestly think we can um like I say at least get people into a much better space than they were when they when they found us agreed agreed okay well thank you again it's really been great having you on I, I really appreciate you taking the time out even though everyone's had their lifestyles and their lives turned upside down we're still busy and still moving on with things particularly if we work from home so I appreciate Absolutely. you taking the time out to be with no, me it's, it's been my pleasure honestly oh, it's been lovely to talk to you oh, same here lovely all right thank you take care Well, folks, that's all for today. I really appreciate your taking the time out to hear the information that Pamela had to share with us. We'll be sure and provide links in the show notes for things that we discussed. 
I think it's really wonderful that I've had so many people like Pamela on that are able to share such valuable information with us. At the end of the day, that is why we're here. We're here to support, collaborate, communicate, educate, and inspire one another. And I'm certainly finding that everyone that I've spoken to has certainly done that for me. I hope they're doing the same for you. But the only way I'll know that is if you let me know. I'd also like to ask you to subscribe to my show. And don't forget to put a date in your diary. On Saturday, 19th September in Bristol at Engineer's House, Anita Beardsley of Love Nutrition and I are organizing an event on the multifaceted effect of gut health. We're going to be looking at it from the science to clinical practice. Our event aims to bring together a range of healthcare professionals to share innovative ways to support clients with a particular focus on gut health and its many manifestations. We are delighted to have Dr. Alan Desmond on board, Dr. Elizabeth Phillips, and author Tanya Borowski as our keynote speakers. We're also pleased to say that we have gold sponsors such as NutriGold and Genova Diagnostics. And we can't forget one of our main supporters, the Alliance for Natural Health. For any information, you can send me an email. Again, the links will be provided in the show notes. I'd also like to wish each and every one of you the very best of health. We are living in an extraordinary time in our lives where everyone is being touched by COVID-19. So it is an equally important time that we rally around together and support one another. So I'd like to wish you and your loved ones the very best of health. Bye for now. Bye.